Michael Vincent the Dude. What's up, man? Oh, man. It's absolutely a gorgeous day in Chattanooga. The red carpet of Freight Alley, my friend. How are you today? Beautiful day for a road trip, right? It Makes you want to go yeah. places. Yeah, absolutely. Free up the Windows world. down, maybe a, maybe a you know convertible. You plan any road trips this summer? Uh, no, maybe up to Pigeon Ford or something like that. I might go down to Florida to see my yeah. kids. Next time, just lie. Say, yeah, of course, I'm going to. Yeah. yeah. I like mean, I we'll, we'll do something. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have one planned, but yeah. What do you have a favorite road trip? In my past experience, yes. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, going West Texas the first time. My dad, Houston, all the way out to Big Bend National Park. Judge yeah. Roy Bean, the only, uh, you know, the, the the only law west of the Pecos type yeah. of stuff. Yeah, it was awesome. So like road runner material. Back you ever do the drive LA to Vegas? Uh, no. But Vegas I've, to LA. What's that? But Vegas no, to no. Okay. Well, Dallas to uh, La Jolla. Okay, you do that <laughs> ride though. You stop in Baker. They have the world's largest thermometer there. And today I'm excited oh, about it. Because we're talking about Steph, we're talking to Stephanie Stuckey. She's the CEO of Stuckey. She's trying to bring back the Great American Road Trip, and I feel like this year it's time for it. We're all getting back to traveling. We're all getting back to vaccinated. Not everyone wants to jump on an airplane. Good time to hop in the car, you know. Stop buying all those goods. Start paying for some of those services, and uh, maybe stop at a roadside attraction like Stuckey's. Get yourself one of them pecan rolls. Pecan rolls. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, pecan absolutely. Rolls. Well, let's get into it. Let's tip the band, man. This episode is brought to you by Redwood, a leading logistics platform company, has provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than 20 years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and innovative platform services such as El Pass and Redwood Connect that fill the gaps between logistics and technology. Contact Redwood at Tell em, Dude. RedwoodLogistics.com immediately after the show. Hey, I forgot to tell you something. I was, when, you I was at, when I was at Baker, the home- when I was at Baker, home of, I'll get to that lens. When I was at Baker, home of the world's largest thermometer, they yeah. have this um it was one of the most embarrassing I felt so embarrassed for someone else. I went into okay. the, the bathroom there and the door slammed behind me and then there was a kid in the stall. Like I, I not a kid, I mean early twenties, <laughs> and all the walls on the stall fell off around him. And his buddy was at the urinal, like turns around, he starts laughing at his of friend. Of course he did. <laughs> he was mortified. I had to go to the bathroom so bad too. I just left though. I was like, ah, next rest stop sixty five miles away. I don't care. I'm out there. <laughs> That's hilarious, dude. Anyways, headlines. Okay, Port of Montreal strike. Feds are poised to intervene as work stoppage begins. You folks may have heard about this one. Nate Tabak reports, as longshoremen begin a general strike at the Port of Montreal on Monday, Canada's federal government was moving quickly to intervene to force them back to work, citing the disruptions to their supply chain. The 1,150 members of the Canadian Union of Public Employees, Local 375, began the unlimited strike at 7 a.m. at Canada's second busiest port, but it does not appear that it'll last long. Nah, probably won't. But Federal Labor Minister Philomena Tassi on Sunday said, it's a strange last name, said in a series of tweets that the government is introducing legislation to end the strike despite its least favored option. The current work stoppage at the port is causing significant and potentially long harm to Canada's economy and is adding stress to the supply chains, which are obviously already under significant stress due to COVID, Tassie tweeted. Uh, Coop, I believe you pronounce it, uh, 37, 
375, or C-U-P-E 375, it's local there, announced on Friday that its longshoremen will begin an unlimited general strike in response to port employees reducing, or port, yeah, port employers reducing regular schedules. The union and the Maritime Employers Association have been engaged in a tit-for-tat since a seven-month truce ended uh, an 11-day strike in August that expired in March. Yeah, the union began unlimited strike. It confined, it can confine to overtime and weekends. So that's one of their big beefs in this whole strike there in response to the MEA suspending guaranteed limited pay. The employee said it was necessary cost-cutting measure in response to a drop in cargo volumes brought on by the labor dispute. The two sides have struggled to come to terms on a new contract for the longshoremen um, since the last one expired in 2018. So this has been an ongoing situation. Hopefully it doesn't last long if you have freight there that's being impacted. You know, we know this has been a tough year in supply chain, so we, we feel for you, and hopefully this gets resolved soon. Amen. Stay tuned to FreightWaves.com for all your freight-breaking news. Um, Budiak, he punted on rethinking the Postal Service truck contract. So we talked about this. Workhorse was like, how dare you? We thought we were getting this yeah. contract. Right. You know, our stock was all pumped up because of it, and then it, it popped like a balloon because we didn't get it. And then they kind of, they're like, well, maybe they'll rethink the contract. Well, John Gallagher reports Secretary of Transportation Pete Budiak would not commit to rethinking this long-term contract recently awarded by the U.S. Post Service for its new mail trucks, even though the contract does not quite align with the Biden administration's zero-admission vehicle goals. Asking about doing so by the news organization Axios during a virtual news conference on Monday, but he acknowledged that the federal government should walk the talk when it comes to transitioning to electric vehicles and to helping jumpstart the EV market. Yeah, you should walk the talk. The 10-year, $482 million contract to produce up to 165,000 next-generation delivery vehicles, NGDVs, was awarded in February to defense contractor Oshkosh Truck Corporation, uh, beating out electric delivery van maker Workhorse Group. Workhorse had offered the only electric uh, battery electric-powered vehicle among the NGDV contract finalists and was consistent with President Joe Biden's January 7th executive order to make all federal fleet vehicles, including those operated by the Postal Service, zero emissions. Yeah, that didn't quite happen. So Workhorse, no. we mentioned their stock, they said plummet by 47% on news of the award to uh, award to Oshkosh planned. Um, and now they, they, they plan to explore all avenues right. in fighting the post office decision. On March 29th, a group of 13 Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives wrote to the Postal Service Board requesting the agency immediately pause yeah. implementation. If you watch the show, we reported that on here at the time. Um, they said of it, right? They said, we are dismayed to learn from testimony by post Master General DeJoy at the House Committee on Oversight and Reform that this contract would currently produce only 10% of electric vehicles, so lawmakers stated in their letter. So Workhorse also thought maybe that was an in for them. Turns out right now it isn't. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it isn't. I, and, you know, I'd like to understand why this was awarded to Oshkosh myself. I have no interest in Workhorse, but why does this thing that obviously goes against Biden's uh, order, why did it go through? I don't, I don't know. I'd like to know. Hey, big brands are teaming up with big-time logistics software. Panasonic, yet another one. They've acquired Blue Yonder for $7.1 billion. The great Grace Sharkey reports Japanese electric giant Panasonic Corp. has announced it will acquire supply chain software company Blue Yonder after an agreement was reached with its existing shareholder, New Mountain Capital and Blackstone. Panasonic previously took a 20% stake in the software company in July, and Friday confirmed it will purchase the remaining 80%. They liked what they saw. For $5.6 billion, (laughs) the additional investment totals at 
$7.1 billion after debt repayment, and it values Blue Yonder at $8.5 billion. Yeah, it's a pretty nice valuation. This announcement comes two weeks after Blue Yonder headquartered in the U.S. confidentially filed a proposed IPO to the Securities and Exchange Commission, my friend. Prior to Blue Yonder's proposed IPO, the two companies were already in talks for the Japanese firm to buy its remaining stake in the software company. At the time, the purchase was valued at $6.45 billion, according to a report by Nikkei Asia. Yeah, in a recent interview with FreightWaves on Panasonic's technology offerings, Jim Dempsey, the director of U.S. business development and partnerships at Panasonic North America, he explained how combining its technologies with Blue, Blue, Blue Yonder, easy for me to say, can improve the outcome of its hardware offerings. Here's a quote from them. With Blue Yonder, we started figuring out how we can layer in artificial intelligence to our systems to allow our customers to be predictive and not reactive. These systems can start healing themselves as things are happening. If you see certain patterns occurring with your supply chain, the system will start making decisions, seeing the pattern before, and it knows how to address it. Really exciting stuff. It's extremely exciting stuff, right? I mean, that's what we're looking for. Living, living breathing uh, type of supply chain that can react to things without you know, the human input. So you can, like it says, discover those patterns and see and, and be efficient. I remember sitting in two years ago. I remember right before I came over to FreightWaves, one of the yeah. last conferences I went to was at Boston Harbor at the port over there. Yeah. And I remember the person who was the keynote there, they, they work for a different publication, a paywall publication. They were, uh, he said something like, he wasn't worried about tech. This is a business of relationships. Tech's not a big deal in supply chain right now. And it's like two years later, look at all these billion dollar deals we're talking about all the time on air on here. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's exploding and it's exciting. It's exciting for this industry. Been in it for thirty four years. I love to see this see this happening. Yeah. You know so, what else is exciting? What? Carbon footprint. Yeah. Oh, you got something on that? I do have something on what, that. What's up? Well, we announced it last week. Yeah. Right during the uh, zero carbon the uh, the uh, um, our summit. Mm -hmm. If you go to what is it? Freightwaves carbon carbon dot, carbon dot, dot freightwaves dot com carbon dot freightwaves dot com and sign up for a. Uh, for a, uh, a a demo of our carbon uh, 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 platform, you can also get one of these great shirts that are right. there, too. You get a demo, and you pick up a shirt. Cool. So well, you go in there and check it out. You know who knows a little bit about mergers and acquisitions and picking up companies? It's Rick Melchaw. He is the industry business advisor over at J.J. Keller. He's been on a couple of weeks ago, and we're glad to have him back, especially, you know, with that story we just talked about. Another, another big pickup for a uh, Panasonic yeah. and Blue Yonder. Hey, Rick, how's it going? Hey, it is uh, just often awesome in my neighborhood. How about yours? It's going good. And I noticed you're behind the fireplace. So we actually have, you know, we always talk about fireside chats. Everybody talks about fireside chats, but where's the fireplace? Where's the fireside? It's right here happening right now on What the Truck. You know, it's right here. I'm, I'm sorry you can't see the uh, the fire, but uh, it is uh, cold uh, yet uh, here in Wisconsin where I'm, where I'm located. So, yeah, you kind of need uh, the heat is still on and uh, sitting next to a nice fire is certainly a good thing as well as well. So, Rick, what's exciting in mergers and acquisitions right now? I mean, we just talked about that big seven point one billion dollar deal <sighs> for Blue Yonder and and Panasonic. That's huge. You know, what's really especially huge about it, though, is seeing a consumer brand like Panasonic bring in logistics software like that. I I'm excited to see it. Well, that is uh, really exciting. And, you know, uh, when we talk about uh, mergers and acquisitions, uh, years and years ago, it was, uh, you know, hot because that's the way that a carrier grew, right? Uh, they bought uh, somebody else's uh, authority so they could move uh, th those lanes and they could buy, uh, move uh, those uh, products. But, you know, now when you look at uh, mergers and acquisitions, at least in 
uh, carrier's uh, sake, a lot of times it's uh, being done is to not even necessarily pick up the uh, book of business, although that can be certainly a, a, a reason for it. But oftentimes it's uh, just to, uh, to get butts in the seats and it's a good way uh, to get the assets of the uh, drivers you know, working uh, for your USDOT number or at least uh, in your umbrella of families. Yeah, so Rick, that's an interesting thing that you just talked about, the DOT numbers. Can that actually be uh, part of the transition? Can you transfer those as part of the merger or an acquisition? Yeah, you know, the FMCSA has a, a really simple uh, one-word, uh, frequently asked uh, question on that. And the question is, Is can USDOT numbers uh, be transferred? Uh, and the answer, again, one word is no. They do go forward and explain that uh, USDOT numbers are not transferable. So the only way that you can uh, transfer a, a USDOT number from one entity to another is through like a, a stock purchase where you're you're buying the stock and you're owning the stock, so you own the uh, the company. Uh, but otherwise, the uh, USDOT numbers are not uh, transferable. And that is uh, oftentimes where I am brought into uh, the conversation is there will be a merger or acquisition. Everything was set up in the, in the deal, but now they want to know how to be compliant. And they say, oh, by the way, uh, we want to run under the old USDOT number or the old uh, you know, authority, and we want to keep everything the same. And it's like, gee, you probably should have called uh, before you went through this uh, whole merger or acquisition. And so, of course, you probably had your attorneys uh, you know, involved and had this uh, well thought out, but not necessarily from a compliance point of view. And what exactly uh, does this mean, you know, on the on the back end? Because now you're stuck with whatever the deal was is what the deal is. Yeah, you know, it's got to be it's got to be a touchy situation, too, because most companies are like 10 times more broken on the inside than what you than what you see on the outside. I've been through a I've been through a merger or two with the, with the company. And usually like on the employee side, the employees, it's bittersweet, right? I mean, yeah. if they're holding stock, they're happy. If they're not, they're fearful. They might lose their job at the new company. Well, in our business, a lot of times we're talking about drivers. So what's the impact on the drivers when these things happen? Well, of course, the uh, the, the drivers, hopefully. Uh, you know, will be able to continue their employment uh, you know, underneath the the new entity uh, if a new entity uh, is created, or underneath the existing entity if if it was a, a stock purchase. Uh, and again, that's a major reason uh, you know for mergers and acquisitions is uh, for uh, for those drivers. And so, you know, when it comes to uh, to drivers, uh, oftentimes uh, their their role is safe. And as a matter of fact, if in the uh, merger or acquisition, the uh, the drivers were just uh, part of the deal and they come along with it, the transition for the drivers and, and for the uh, carrier is pretty straightforward. Uh, there are exceptions for the uh, driver qualification file. There are exceptions for drug and alcohol uh, testing. Uh, if the uh, driver was part of the merger or acquisition and the driver didn't have to reapply for their uh, position. So, so they took all drivers uh, along with the the, the new carrier, the, the new entity uh, can use the old uh, driver qualification file and uh, de uh, and the drug and alcohol uh, testing uh, records. So those uh, come over with it. But the watch out there is it's really coming over, you know, warts and all. And again, the driver can't be expected uh, to reapply for their position. 
Interesting, Rick. So we talked about U.S. DOT numbers. We talked about the drivers and their drug and alcohol records, et cetera. Uh, if whether you're, you know, doing the acquiring or being acquired, because some you look out there to try and be acquired. What are some of the general things and considerations that are general things that need to be considered, uh, you know, before uh, certainly, but also during an acquisition or a merger? Sure. The first is uh, the DOT number itself. And so if the uh, the new entity has a new uh, federal employment ID uh, number uh, through SSI. They're also going to need a new USDOT number. And with that uh, new USDOT number is going to be the, the new entrant uh, audit. So that's, uh, you know, first and foremost, understand if you're creating a new entity, you know, everything is new, including uh, DOT compliance. Although, again, some of the items for DQ and drug and alcohol can come along uh, with that. And so when you think about, well, what's all involved with having a new USDOT number aside from, you know, the, the new entrant uh, audit? Well, you think of things uh, like the vehicle markings. Well, now all of a sudden I may have to, you know, take all the vehicles that uh, came in the merger or acquisition and possibly put a new name on it, a, uh, a new USDOT uh, number. And the question I get off, asked often here is, well, how much time do I have to make that happen? And the thing of it is with the, uh, the marking rules of 391.21, there is no grandfathering or a grace period of those uh, numbers. So they need to accurately reflect uh, the carrier that is operator and is responsible for the safe operation uh, of that vehicle. Again, another reason to become involved uh, you know, beforehand because there is a way, you know, certainly uh, if you're working uh, together through the uh, merger or acquisition, you can kind of create some uh, some grace period by the the new carrier maybe leasing the uh, drivers and leasing uh, the vehicles, and then you can use a marking exception in paragraph E of three ninety one twenty one so that it can have the old uh, name and USDOT number as long as the uh, items in that uh, paragraph uh, are met. And then, of course, that brings up the, the whole, I guess, question of what happens with the, uh, with the vehicles. How long do I have to, uh, to retitle them? How long do I have to uh, get a, a new registration for the vehicle? What about the weight distance uh, taxes in New York, Kentucky, New Mexico, Oregon? You know, how much time do I have to do uh, you know, all of those things? Uh, did I take the for hire authority from the uh, from the existing company? So there's a, a whole number of things that you have to consider and be getting ready for when you're considering it. So just don't look at DOT compliance of, well, you know, we closed today. Uh, so what do we need to do? Uh, this should be a part of the process and setup all the way through. Thank you, Rick. Hey, how do people reach out and learn more information? This is this is one of those topics that um. If you know what he's talking about, you know what he's talking about. Yeah, I don't oh, yeah. know about some of those sections oh, or paragraphs. Doesn't mean I, anything to me. But yeah. if people people know, if they hear what you're singing right now, they want to reach out. They need to know more. Where do they go? Well, and that's important, right? Because uh, it's kind of like uh, diamonds. Uh, if you don't know uh, diamonds, uh, know your jeweler. So if you don't know how to be compliant uh, through the uh, through a merger or through an acquisition, and what all needs to happen on the other end. By all means, again, uh, bring your corporate attorneys on board, but also consider, uh, you know, working with somebody that does understand, you know, all the uh, DOT alphabet uh, soup and 
the part numbers and the reg numbers sure. and what all needs Thanks, to be done. Rick. And you can do that uh, certainly through uh, J.J. Keller. Uh, we do have a DOT authority uh, team. Uh, and you can, you mind if I give the uh, website for that? Yeah, real quick, real quick, real quick. Okay, real quick. It's a jjkeller.com uh, slash learn slash DOT dash authority dash services. And there's a whole team that can be set Thanks. up if you're considering uh, a merger acquisition on either side of the table. Th th thank you, Rick. We appreciate Thanks, your time Rick. today. Thanks for joining us for this fireside chat. Take care. Thank you. <laughs> and it was a All right, we got a great video now from uh, from Stucky. So let's check this out about the Great American Road Trip, and then we'll talk to Stephanie Stucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all know how the old saying goes: "It's not about the destination; it's about the journey." And that's literally true about the Great American Road Trip, as some of our most memorable moments are often made at the stops along the way. I think a road trip really helps immerse you kind of in the culture of the state you're traveling through, gives you more of a full feel of the state and what you're experiencing. Usually I have an itinerary of places I want to stop, but some of the most rewarding experiences are when you find something new, stumble upon something you didn't know existed. Traveling, you know, kind of the back roads of the South or United States, even the small towns, they have something to offer for road trips. You have little museums, the locally run museums. Almost everyone has like something remarkable in it, something amazing. Or there's just all sorts of strange things to see along the roadside. People creating art in their backyards. The whole thing is an adventure. Wow, Stephanie, that seems like an adventure. And it looks like I thought I saw you in the car. Did you actually go on this road trip? I have been to a lot of those destinations and recommended them for the film crew, but I was not in the car. They had some <laughs> actors do that. People who look more professional than me, I suppose. <laughs> well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. She's the CEO of Stuckies, as you can see on her shirt there. Um, a shameless promotion. Oh, this is the show to be doing it on. We we, we appreciate yeah. it. We also like your cause of reinvigorating the great American road trip. And I think that this is a great year for it to get back behind the wheel and go see some places without, you know, people feeling more comfortable, not having to be as masked up, people getting vaccinated. I, I know my family and I are looking forward to hitting the road this summer. Absolutely. And actually, we were featured on PBS Evening News last night. Oh, talking about that very topic, that as people are, re are emerging from COVID restrictions and quarantine, they're getting back on the road. There it is. Cue it up. <laughs> so I love this clip because it shows uh, the, the biggest news in Stuckey's is that we just purchased a pecan processing and candy plant. So for the first time since 1964, we are making our own candy in-house and it is absolutely delicious. And wow. uh, I was joking with my team this morning. Uh, my partner and I get on national news and we're wearing hairnets and face masks. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a sign of the times, right? But we're, we're emerging from that and we're ready. We're ready with road trip snacks. We're ready with a place where you can relax, refresh, and refuel and pull over on the side of the road and have a nice stop where you can fill up with gas. And I like to say we were the OG of the road trip. We were founded in 1937, and we were before any other location you might see around today. And we are still around. Pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to the pecan logs. Again, yeah. to tell you the truth, they're one of my favorites. I have one with me. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so but so your career has uh, has been around uh, several different things. You've served in the political arena, even as Atlanta uh, Atlanta's director of sustainability. 
So I got to ask you, yeah. what's what's harder, politics or pecan logs? Oh, they're just different. And honestly, I, I don't think any of them was particularly hard. You just have to figure them out. There's definitely challenges, but they both play to my strengths, which is just getting out there and promoting something that you're passionate about. And I am still remain passionate about social issues. And uh, a lot of the issues that promoted that got me to run for office were related to the environment. And so I was in elected office for 14 years. And then I segued over to appointed office with the head of sustainability. I remain committed to protecting our environment. But the candy world and the roadside retail world is something that just comes naturally to me. I grew up around it. Although our, our story is unique in that Stucky's fell out of family hands for decades and we've gotten the brand back and we're determined to turn the brand around and make not only a revival for Stucky's, but a revival for the road trip. I love it. I mean, you even showed us with the pecans, you're taking your supply chain back, you're taking yeah. the, the candy making back. It sounds really cool. For those who are not familiar, though, I mean, I was looking into the history of Stuckies, and it started out like a lot of businesses, right? It was just this roadside stand, and it was selling uh, some of these things. Then it, it grew into what it grew into. But what is Stuckies now, especially since you've taken over since I believe it was 2019? You've had about two years to feel it out, right? Not even because I took it over in November of 2019 oh. and immediately after that COVID hit. So mm. I, I have in the background a picture or a painting of what Stuckey's looked like in our peak, which was the 1970s. So folks who grew up during that era might remember pulling over and seeing the Stuckey's that was really popular at the time. And that's right around when my grandfather, he sold the company actually in 1964. And what it is today, we've lost a lot of the stores. So we're at 67 locations. Of those, only 20 are standalone brick and mortar. They're all independently owned franchise locations. So the corporation does not own any of the locations. And so our big challenge when I took over was seeing how we could drive revenue with the with the brand, knowing that we had a reduced storefront presence. And so I quickly saw that where we were driving profit was through the sale of our product. And so we're, that's what we're doing. We bought the candy plant so we can really offer a quality product at better prices since we're making it in-house. And we're, we've greatly expanded our online presence. And none of this would be possible. I know the topic of the show is what the truck None of this would be possible without the supply chain that we rely upon to deliver our products by truckers. And truckers kept us alive during COVID when others weren't traveling. So we are really grateful for the trucking industry and people who keep our supply chain going. So I'm well, delighted so, to be on your show and talk about this. Yeah, sure. How do, how do, so how does Stuckey's accommodate drivers? Well, as we are modernizing the stores, and again, they're independently owned and franchised, but we do have obviously power over who we select to be our franchisees. And the franchisee we work with most closely is really intent upon making every single location trucker friendly. And that includes not only a lot of diesel fuel you know, uh, fuel banks, but also to have trucker lounges, showers, overnight parking, absolutely safe place where they can pull over and our stores in Oklahoma that we just opened, Seminole is an example, one of our better locations. And then quite a few of our Texas stores, Anna Wake is a good one. Uh, they're all trucker-friendly with full suite of amenities. Uh, we just, uh, are, just started renovating one of our old stores in Doolittle, Missouri, right off of Route 66. That's going to be a lot more trucker-friendly when we're done with it. So 
we're trying to listen to truckers, see what they want, and meet those needs as we expand. Excellent. So, Stephanie, what are some of those trends that you're seeing in that retail uh, from the truckers, from the retailer space? From your perspective? Well, you know, interesting, and it may just be from my biased perspective, but I am seeing more women interested in pursuing a career in trucking. And a lot of the women are reaching out to me because I'm I'm a female CEO in their space. And frankly, there's not a lot of us. And so I've been listening to them and their concerns. And so I'm really interested in that aspect of how we can make some of the services we offer really friendly to women. And that could mean offering some nice massages, maybe having a nail salon, uh, you know, making sure that women feel like they're welcome as well. Making sure I listened to uh, one of your previous episodes, which I absolutely loved about how the, the, uniforms and equipment that are offered for women truckers need to be fine-tuned to match women's bodies. And so I'm really paying attention to that. And obviously safety issues are paramount for them. They want to make sure that they've got a safe place where they can pull over and stop. And that is really top of the list. The other thing we've been doing that I've been hearing from truckers and just watching while being on the road is that so many truckers have dogs. Oh yeah. And so we started adding dog parks to our stores and really advertising that and trying to get on social media sites that cater to dog owners. I did not realize that before I started running Stuckies, <laughs> how many truckers travel with their dogs. So Steph- we Stephanie, on radio sure place uh, them. On radio, we had a um, on Sirius XM. We, we used to have a show, Freight Race Radio, and one of the topics was a trucking company was banning dogs in the cab. So mm-hmm. just the, like it was a, just a general audience, and I wow. never had more calls when I was on air from drivers who were driving around with their dogs, and they are deeply, deeply yeah. passionate about them. And it makes sense. You're driving over the road for so many yeah. days out of the year with your best friend right beside you. Now, you said some interesting things there, and we're talking about a modern world, but you also have this sort of older brand and bring it into it. In fact, I actually heard one of your jingles. They're great. So can we play that video real quick? <laughs> Take a stucky stop, make a stucky stop. It's the highway stop with style. Take a stucky stop, make a stucky stop. Take a five-minute stretch mm-hmm. or browse for a while. Relax. Take a stucky stop. So I, I love awesome. it, but it's definitely leading into the nostalgia of the brand. So, and you mentioned yeah. the website and you, but you also, on one hand, you want the great American road trip. You want people to drive and go there. On the other hand, e-commerce booming, especially during COVID. How do you as a CEO balance those two sides of the business? Well, I am very respectful of the past. And so the way I look at bringing this brand forward is that we acknowledge and respect the, the past, but we move in the, towards the future. And for me, it's less about demographics and age and living in the past or living in the future, but looking at what really defines our brand. And we are all about the road trip. And small town America and providing a safe and welcoming oasis for people who've been on the road. And I think that is timeless and ageless and doesn't really matter whether you were born in the forties or born in the eighties, you can relate to getting on the road and not everyone is going to love road trips and not everyone is a trucker. So our brand isn't for everyone, but we 
uniquely own that space of being a roadside retail location and frankly, being the first roadside retail location. And I also have found that people love nostalgia of all ages, even if you did not grow up stopping at Stuckey's, there's something kitschy and campy and retro fun about our brand. And I have found even in the past year that we're getting a lot of interest from consumers in their 20s and 30s who enjoy taking to the road. That's really great. I'm glad to hear that you guys are getting a great response from this, Stephanie, because I certainly love it myself. But how are you how are you fitting in with those large with those large the TAs and the and the loves and the pilots that are out there? How are you fitting in with those guys? So we're our own brand. We've never been a large square footage facility. Our stores back in the day were um, 1,800 square feet. So we're small. And I don't see us really trying to compete with TA or Pilot or Loves. That takes incredible capital. And frankly, we've lost market share over the decades to have that be a realistic opportunity for us right now. What what we are, and I'm going to own our space, is that we're this special roadside place, and we may not be for everyone. Frankly, some of the truckers who may work for a large trucking company, especially if they've got the, the gas cards that require them to pull over at certain stops where they can refuel using the company credit card, we may not be the brand for them. We likely are more aligned with some of the independent truckers. But what's been really interesting to me is we have a couple of our locations that are right across the street from Loves and some of the others are right across the the exit at the other corner of an interchange. And I've seen where quite a few truckers and the store managers are telling me this, they'll pull over and fill up with gas at the big chain locations, the big truck stops, but they'll walk across the way to Stuckey's to get a pecan log roll. So we're, we're Stuckey's, we're owning our niche. We're not trying to be something we're not. We do try to accommodate truckers, like I said, when we can, when it makes sense financially for our franchisees while still being true to our brand as being something that's a smaller stop. We're we're not going to be a huge square footage. And we also recognize that the way we're going to drive our revenue is from a diversification of how how we gain a profit. And that's producing our product. We have a unique product. None of those other chains are known for a unique product line. And we started as a pecan stand on the side of the road, making our delicious pralines and fudge, divinity, milk chocolate turtles, (laughs) and of course the famous pecan log roll. And so we own what we are and we just focus on what makes us special and let the competition worry about themselves. Yeah, I mean, if you start selling Doritos or something, you know, then it just becomes another a, a quick mark that you might yeah. find that a loves yeah, exactly right. Where, like, if I want to leave a store looking like Scott Farkas with a coonskin cap on and a, a slingshot <laughs> and a Farkas. pecan log hanging out of my mouth, I know where to go to. I was I looking it. at I was looking at your website. I, I've been to Stuckies, and, and we kind of hit on the pecans. Your t- what does your supply chain look like now? Well, it's gotten a hundred percent better now that we are producing our own product. And we bought a existing candy plant and pecan processing plant, and it is in the heart of pecan country. Not everyone probably knows that Georgia is the number one pecan producing state and the number one pecan producing country. So we are situated uniquely right by our main product. And I like to say we are producing from tree to table. So we're buying the product and we're shelling it 
We're taking the shelled nuts directly next door to our candy plant where we process and package. And then we have a distribution facility. We don't own it, we rent it, but we operate our own distribution facility with our own team. And so that greatly facilitates us being able to control a lot of our supply. Now, having said that, we can't make everything. We don't make our packaging. And so the recent Panama Canal blockage, that's impacted us. We were waiting for new packaging from China. And now we have to tell all of our retailers it's another month before pralines come out. So wow, we're, wow. we're dependent upon supply chain just like everyone else. And the price increases affect us like they are everyone else. But as much as possible, we are trying to control what we can control so that we can deliver quality product to our customers. No, that and we outsource our trucking. We have a wonderful independent trucking company that we use that delivers our product for us. We've been using them for years. Yeah, no, well, that makes sense too. You're you're in Georgia, so you probably for, with yeah. the sewage, you probably have some freight coming onto onto the East Coast, so it would get it would get trapped over there. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah, a big Savannah port. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I am a saltwater taffy aficionado. When I was wow. a kid, our favorite my favorite road trip every year was Easter break. We would go we would go to yes. South Car- Myrtle Beach, South Carolina from Boston and you go down 95 and you see all the like the Pedro signs at south of the border and then you get to South Carolina <laughs> in Myrtle Beach and there's all this saltwater taffy and you pick it out of the barrels. And I saw this commercial that you have at Stuckey's. You're talking about your saltwater taffy and I noticed that the first one you went for was blueberry. Is that your favorite flavor? Oh, uh, actually, I'll eat any kind of saltwater taffy. I'm like you. I love it all. I would love to say we make that ourselves. We don't. We outsource it from a really good candy company that is uh, American. Most We try as much as possible to use American-made products when we can because we like to support our economy. But I'll eat any kind of taffy. And we've been selling saltwater taffy at Stuckey's for 70 years. Hey, fun uh, fact, do you know how saltwater taffy became, how, how it came to be? No, don't tell us. Do you know the us. origin of it? It's a cool no. story. So it was Atlantic City Boardwalk, and there had been a flood, and the taffy got uh, damaged with salt water, and the retailer was pretty cheap and wanted to try to unload his inventory. So he was a clever entrepreneur and marketer, and he branded it as saltwater taffy, and people loved it. And it totally makes sense because the palate naturally is drawn towards the sweet and savory mix. Yeah. I mean, some of my absolute favorite uh, flavor profiles are that sweet and salty combo. I love getting some sugar and salt mixed together and throwing that on some pecans. It's delicious. So it was an instant hit. And suddenly everybody on the Atlanta City Boardwalk was making saltwater taffy. And it's been a thing ever since. Wow. He just sold the public like some 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 taffy that got like ocean water in yep. it. Wow. It's different yeah. times, right? I different love all these stories about candy. You know, I'm discovering them and especially nostalgic candies. Uh I the, the people who make little Debbie snack cakes reached out to me last week. I was so excited. It's oh. been in the same family since 1934. Did you know that? How cool is that? Stephanie, come up here. They're like right down the street. Yeah, they're right down the street. Yeah, like the lady who owns it, she's right down the street over here. It's the McKee family, and they own several brands. But, of course, the Little Debbie Snack Cakes is what they're best known for. But the grandchildren are now running the company. And I just love that it has been in the same family forever. And we have somehow got to figure out a collab with them because they're awesome. Now, Stephanie, you've kind of made yourself an expert on on road trips. It's a great American road trip. So (laughs) where would you suggest that our listeners go this summer on their road trip other than to a Stuckey's? 
Well, it all depends on where you're from. And I think what I have discovered is that you can really take a road trip that is an hour or less. There Mm -hmm. is so much to explore in this country. And it's amazing, like where our candy plant is in Wrens, Georgia, the next town over is called Harlem, Georgia, and it is the birthplace of Laurel Hardy. You know, I mean, um, Oliver Hardy, as in Laurel and Hardy. And they have the most amazing Laurel and Hardy Museum in this little town with population like 1,500. So what I'm trying to stress to people is you don't have to necessarily take this long road trip where you get in the car with your best friend or your spouse or whoever, and you travel for days and plot it out. You could do a short day trip or weekend trip and really have a lot of fun. Having said that, my most recent fun stop was The Thing in Boudry, Arizona. Wow. Wow. Have you seen that? No, we haven't. What is it? It's, uh, well, I don't want to to spoil the surprise. You have to pay your five bucks to see it. But it is a, uh, maybe an alien mummy. The other one that's near the thing that I really loved was Quartzsite, Arizona. And I went there in search of an old Stuckey's, which is still there, but it's now a a restaurant. Uh, But they were true to the store. They kept the store looking the same, which is wonderful. But it is right where they filmed Nomadville, which just won Oscar for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress. And it is such a cool town. It's where they have the RV rendezvous that's featured in the movie. And there's a lot of fun things to explore there, like the world's largest belt buckle and great gym museums. And uh, there's even the grave of Ha Ali, who was the uh, captain of the U.S. Army's Camel Brigade in the 1800s. Wow. And there's like a whole story there about how the U.S. Army used to have a camel brigade. And this guy from India came over and ran it. And his grave is there with a giant pyramid and a big statue and plaque so there's there's, <laughs> there's great well stephanie this this has been enlightening it's been great i could stay here all day talking about roadside attractions and i'm not even kidding unfortunately we got to get over to another guest but in the meantime people after this they want to check out stuckies stuckies.com that's right beautiful and we're on social media we're on linkedin we're on facebook twitter instagram youtube stephanie thank you so much for your time today we yeah. appreciate it a little cowbell thank for you, you too. a little cowbell for bringing back the road trip <laughs> take it easy she was a good time man oh yeah absolutely yeah. I- i'm into it too i really want to go on a road trip now i really want to go on one um let's bring up byron bureau though he is america's breakthrough coach there's something really interesting here you know yeah you talk about generations here nostalgia some people may be yeah. nostalgic about the hard-ass ways of business of the past <laughs> some, some people are. have been bullied yeah. in those situations may not well he's got the roi of kindness and he's going to tell us all about it brian welcome to the show well, it's so great to hear you, hear you and be with you. And I was thinking about pecan rolls and saltwater <laughs> taffy. And, man, I'm, I'm ready to hit that quartz site and find out about uh, Nomadville, man. I'm ready to rock. I know. And well, that one best picture last night, too. And that's all, about the, that's all about the road trip. Now, one thing that you're about, though, is making it so that everybody doesn't have to go on a road trip and leave their job by just being kinder. Tell us a little bit about the ROI of kindness and how that plays into retention. And I'll tell you why this is an important topic to us. In trucking, there's over 100% driver turnover every year. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, and that's such a perfect, perfect instance of how... Uh, this book that I wrote really deals with breaking through the myth that somehow we've grown up to think that you got to be tough in business. You got to be rough. You got to be, you know, you got to, that 
that we all want kindness in our lives, but we kind of think it's soft and it, it doesn't work. And uh, this book points out that is exactly the opposite. Uh, great example, kind of analogous to trucking. Uh, the industry that probably has the biggest turnover, the highest turnover, even more than 100% a year in trucking is uh, quick service foods, fast foods. And they have 170% per year. Um, so they turn over almost twice a year. Um, two companies in that industry are famous for creating what I call a kindness value proposition. In other words, they built kindness into their culture. It's what they it's what they recognize. It's what they appreciate. It's what they train. And those two are Chick-fil-A and Starbucks. Their average turnover is 14% for Chick-fil-A, 24% for Starbucks in an industry of 170%. So kindness works. Not only does it make you feel good to be kind, we all want kindness, but kindness actually goes right straight to the bottom line. When you figure that every time you have to replace an employee in quick service foods is $6,000. Imagine the difference between 24 and 14% and 170%. Yeah, so Brian, this has obviously got to come down from from the top, and and you cite the chief kindness officer. Oh yeah, and and the seven habits. Can you speak to those seven habits of the chief kindness officer that is required for this? Absolutely, and and here's the fun part: everyone is. You, you may not be the CEO, you may not be the COO, but everyone immediately can decide to move into the corner office and be the CKO, chief kindness officer. So it really is meant to be not only top down, but from bottom up, side to side. That's how you build a kindness culture. And it's one thing to want to be kind. How do you deliver kindness in a way that really works? And I talk about the seven habits of effective CKOs. And probably the most important one is to be fully present when you're with people. When you're fully present with people, it sends a powerful message that they're important. And when you and really our job and really building relationships, building connection, building our business is to help the people that we work with, people that we deal with, our customers, all right, our vendors to know they're important. Because when they feel that they matter, that they count they're important, they rise and they want to connect with you more. So probably the most important of those seven habits is to be fully present. Uh, another one that's that's really surprising is humility. Um you know, a lot of people think being humble means you can't be confident. You can be very confident and be quite humble because being humble doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It just means you think of yourself less. But the reason why humility is so crucial to your growth, to really building a culture that delivers kindness is only those who are humble would rather be wrong and learn from it than have to look good and be right. And when you deliver that message of humility, it kind of humanizes the people around you and builds that greater connection. Um, a last one that we can talk about, I don't want to give away all seven, but is, <laughs> sure. is to ask more than tell. Um, we have, uh, you know, we have only one mouth, but we have two ears. All right. So that's a good ratio. When we ask more than tell, we immediately let people feel that they're significant. When we ask them what they think, we ask them what they want right? and they feel a sense of connection right away. So those simple ways of delivering kindness are so powerful, not only in our work, not only when you're out there on the road as a trucker, but with your family, all right, with your with your community, with your customers, with your vendors. Well, you even got a metric for this, your KVP, your kindness value proposition. How do how do Michael Vincent and I enhance ours? Well, I, I watch you guys and you already got a pretty good one going. You make your you make your guests feel welcome, you make them feel and you know, and key is you really listen. So a kindness value proposition is a simple way to crystallize, all right, how you're going to deliver kindness. 
All right, and that's a really important thing. For example, uh, an airline that has just blasted all the others over the last 45 years is Southwest Airlines. Their count, kindness value proposition is having fun and, and, and serving people. That's it. And everything they do focuses in on that message. If it's not fun and kind, then it, it doesn't work. It's not part of our culture. So in yours, I just say, you guys keep doing what you do. You have fun and you help every single guest feel valued and that they have some value to bring to your to your listeners. So, I, Brian, how do you how do you scale and scale your kindness at the same time? You know, companies grow so quickly and they get focused on different things. How do you avoid losing it once you have it as a smaller company? Well, that's a great question because the key is the culture. It's building into the culture to where it's automatic. And you look at the companies I just recognized. I mean, Starbucks is in 200 countries, you know, yeah. 225,000 stores. That's where you really got to scale. It starts with the very first minute that you walk in, your orientation training. It comes through your, co- your communications. You really acknowledge examples of extraordinary kindness. Uh, and you just make it something that is built in every single day. That's how scaling is done. Is through culture. Right? And when that culture becomes established, then it has a life of its own. And people are starting to see what we focus on is what we create. When we create a culture of kindness, we're looking to be kind and the scaling kind of takes care of itself. No, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, that it makes absolutely it, does. That makes a ton of sense. Brian, this is awesome stuff in this media. I really want to read the book now and I want the audience to read it as well. Where do we send them to to go pick this up? Well, there's two places you can get it. One is my website, brianbyro.com, and the other is a website called inspirekindness.com. We uh, we take a portion of every sale of the book and give it to what's kindness for kids, which is whole focus is to stop bullying at a, a young age, to just rid this rid America of bullying because it does no one any good. Wow, excellent nice. stuff. I, we really appreciate your work, and we're happy to get this message out there. Thank you so much for your time today, Brian. Hey, it's been a blast. You guys do a great job. I loved. I used to be a vice president of a trunking company, so you know I really related to this. It was Linden, the Linden companies out in in the Pacific Northwest that mm. kind of built Alaska. All right, so all, hi to all my Linden friends. All right, thank thank you once again. We really appreciate that. You know, awesome. Super, Thanks, Brian. Super cool. You know, everyone touches supply chain. Supply chain. Yeah. You know, everyone says everything is sales. Everything is also supply chain. Everything is also supply chain. I know, people have this misconception. This show is like about trucking or something. It's not. It's about business. It's about business. And supply chain drives business. And it's about the people who make business happen. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much all related. Pecan logs. Yeah. Supply logs. chain. I lo- she, was, she was great to talk to as well. <laughs> she was great. She you was know, great. The one, thing I, the one thing that he was talking about, though, is that, like, kindness. And I think some people make the mistake thinking that kindness is just being, like, like nice and polite, right? Yeah. Or being a pushover. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But and people, weak. That, that's not being kindness. Kindness is, is, is creating an environment for people. Kindness is creating a place where people feel comfortable and feel safe. And they can talk about some of those vulnerable issues in. Yeah, not only vulnerable issues, but also be able to be part of that team without ridicule. And, and like you said, bullying happens in business as well. Oh, all the time. And so do politics in business, which oh. really kills And sometimes it. that happens without people knowing it because everyone yeah. perceives each other differently. And a yeah. lot of times, you know, you got to figure out if you're stuck in your own head, if it's your environment. There's a lot of things going on. It's a complicated world. Let's all get along. And that'll be a big deal. Big deal. Ah. Little deal. There we go. Now we're in the club. Now. All right, this is so. This might be pulling into a Stuckies one day. You know, we ran out of time. I had one question for her, which is, you know, with a look towards the future, she's sustainability. Do you think yeah. they're putting those electric pumps outside? Well, they may oh. need to to some of these uh, these new fuel efficient trucks. Dude, this the Shell Starship hyper fuel efficient truck will take off on highways this May. I think we have a video. Big deal or little deal? Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> the name's a big deal. It's very cool. 
I think it's kind of a big deal because they're using all technology that is available right now, right? They're bringing yeah. it all together, right? They're not, they're not some nascent new technology. They're bringing all this other stuff together and putting it together. My one problem with this is they ran it across the, the, the country. And I'm going to say it's kind of a little deal because they ran it across San Diego all the way to Jacksonville and didn't release any stats on it, my friend. I couldn't find any stats anywhere wow. of how it performed. So, um, so I love bit. it that it's solar. It's got solar panels on top of it. It's so using deal. recent technology, but I'm call it a little deal. Okay, a little. You know, I will say the one thing about that truck we're talking about bullying is I saw a few pictures of it online. A lot of the truckers I know on Twitter, they were bullying that truck. They were making fun of that thing. It is a little weird looking. It looks like when hybrid cars first came out, like the like the Honda Insight with the wheels, skirts, and everything. Yeah. Like I'm, it's like really yelling at you that it is. I'm a futuristic car. Where I think a lot of people are like. The aversion, the object, like uh, to it, is the repulsion. Is that you look at a Freightliner or a Mac, and it's it's hot, man. Yeah, they look. They, yeah, just not not quite as cool. I agree. So, all right, big deal, little deal. Dooner, a pedestrian bridge fell on two semi trucks on April twenty second <laughs> outside of uh, what is it, Enramadas, Mexico. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, take a look. We got the picture right here. Take this out. I mean, yeah, it didn't it look, just fall on it. It looks like a big deal. Boom. Fortunately, it didn't end up being a big deal because ne- nobody was hurt. And it's surprisingly enough, nobody was hurt. And for the audio listeners, this bridge in Mexico, it just fell on the trucks. Fortunately, it landed at a, at a part in the trailer where it didn't crush anybody. But here's the whack thing, man. I think the, the big deal is infrastructure. We have our own problems here. The, the particular incident, kind of a, a little deal because no one got hurt. Still a huge yeah. deal because a lot of people could got hurt. And they kept that side of the road open, which I thought was strange, too. You see the bridge fall down you, you still want to go through there i don't know different, yeah because there's that, there's that video of someone driving underneath it they're like okay go ahead go okay ahead. here we go dude <laughs> two russian five-year-olds staged a daring escape from their kindergarten in order to go buy a jaguar is that a big deal or a little deal well <laughs> i think it's a big deal from several different angles to yeah tell you the truth because these so they used uh so the, they used the tools that were there on the playground in the sandbox they used the spades that were there the, uh, to do this they planned it for a couple days. Yeah. Because they dug underneath this fence. They dug this hole underneath this, this fence and then waited for the opportune moment to, to make their break, kind of like, uh, you know, Shawshank. Yeah. They, they like you <laughs> see the prison movies, right? They take yeah. the poster down, they take the toothbrush or the exactly. sewer, they chisel away, they put it back, <laughs> and then it's time to go through the sewer right. and leave. Crawl, crawl through 100 yards <laughs> yeah. of the worst smelling foul I can imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they planned it for a couple you know, days. That's how they and made saltwater taffy. <laughs> that's exactly. It was in their pockets when they went through there and then they. <laughs> Didn't want to eat it, so they sold it. And, and then they, what, they they walked a few blocks or whatever to the Jaguar store to buy a Jaguar, but they didn't Not have a few, any money. A mile and a half, like one point, like it was two kilometers. So it was, yeah. it was like a mile, one and a quarter miles. Yeah, yeah, for, for a while. And it took them a half hour for the teachers there, the administrators, to realize they were gone during uh, being outside. So, uh, yeah, it's a big deal from, you know, lack of security yeah <laughs> what guess. would you do if you're a kid if you're five year well i have a five i have a four-year-old in the city i'd have an issue with i'd have an issue with the people there at the at the, at the kindergarten yeah how you let them do jailbreaks like that yeah how, how are you giving them a shovel that's good enough to break and why is my kid trying to get out of this place so bad uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy. well did they buy the jaguar <laughs> no they did not oh. but according to the insider genesis 2 church of health and healing my friend mm. founder mark grennan and his sons uh, has uh, been indicted for selling bleach, my friend, online as a miracle cure for COVID, <laughs> HIV, and cancer. I think yeah. it's good for indigestion as well. Well, I wonder where they got that idea from. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is this is hard. Like, what is wrong with people? Because in this story, this Mark Grennan guy, he put it under a church name, right? A non-religious church to try to be exempt from 
uh, any repercussions for selling this to, to people. I mean, what's wrong with Is him? Is the church exempt from the FDA? I don't think so. I but, don't think but so. Our, our, I don't think Miracle Cures, like, like, like if you're selling it as a supplement, I don't think it's regulated by the FDA. That's true. But at the same time, you can't just take bleach and call it. Oh, this is no. This is oh my. This isn't math. This is actually a supplement. This uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a replacement for vitamin D. Yeah. Like, does that even work? Just being like, all right, here, I, take some bleach. Apparently not. <laughs> why do people? I mean, yeah, it works on your countertop, but why would people think that bleach would work inside they their intestines? They sold a million dollars of it, man. A million? Yeah. This this guy sold a million dollars. <laughs> Thank thankfully got indicted. He's he's hurting people who I I guess just they don't know any better. <laughs> they, they they don't know any better. They they actually threatened the judge for for taking away their bleach. Yeah, the, the, they they threatened it. What what they're really in trouble for? One of the things they're big time yeah. in trouble for is they threatened the judge, told him if they stopped them from doing it, that they were going to basically uh, uh, start hoarding arms and turn into Waco. They threatened Waco. Okay, I was going to say little deal, but that's that's an even bigger deal. Yeah, that's they threatened Waco deal. on him. That's messed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dude, according to CNN, rental car prices are so high in Hawaii that tourists are renting U-Haul trucks. Maybe one of those tourists took mine that smell like the pickles from what the pickle jar. Open That's the extra. The pickle air freshener is extra. The pickle air freshener. Sure. Would you like pine new car smell or dill pickle? So I was looking at this. <laughs> apparently $772 a day just to rent a car. Yeah, that's insane. And and in Orlando, it was three hundred dollars for uh, like a Kia Rio or something like car. that. But for a car, and so they're 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 uh, yeah, they're renting U-Hauls, and the U-Haul people in in uh, in Hawaii are saying that they're trying to be cognizant of their their core customer, right? Yeah. So they are renting these things out, but they're trying to make it available so people can move as well. Um, what does I, that I'm, mean? It means that cars are expensive there, and people are no, driving. No, but around. I mean, like, are they going to cut you if they're like, ah, oh, you're just going for a leisure ride? I guess and I don't uh, you think know, actually if, moving? if they got something that's not booked today, they'll let them have it for a day or something. Oh, okay. I guess is what is, is what we're talking about here. Okay, right? so they're trying to they're trying to keep those things there. Um, it's crazy. It's a sign of the time. It's um, it's a big deal, I guess. If you're going there, to me, the the price of uh, Kiowa wood there the, is like ten dollars a pound, and I need it to make my huli huli chicken. Oh, yeah. Which is a, a roadside favorite in Hawaii that I just learned about last week. Yeah, but I'm trying to replicate it here, but I don't have the Hawaiian wood. It's very expensive. So anybody Dude, every got any? Every lumber is expensive. Have you been trying to buy rafts of lumber recently? No, because I saw the prices. Yeah, I just yeah. got a fence booked, and I hope they don't cancel on me because like the prices just keep going up, and I don't want them to. You know, I'm like, can I give you, you the contract? You got a contract? Can, on can, this? You, can you build it? Can you just build it now? <laughs> but the prices are growing up. They're going higher. <laughs> They're going higher. Um, hey, guess what? Guess what? Wednesday is. Prepare for takeoff, man. It's another oh, NASA yeah. show. NASA. It's another NASA show. And this is super cool. We're talking to Joshua Ravitch. He's from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He's the mechanical engineer lead on the Mars Ingenuity helicopter. And that's awesome because they just, they just they flew again. They did. They flew uh, like five meters high, 50 off, miles away or something like that. They went. They're showing off, man. That's crazy. They're showing off. We also have Craig Nickel. He's a NASA Armstrong Flight Research, low bloom, low boom flight demonstrator, project manager in charge of the X-59. Super cool, supersonic jet. You know our NASA shows. We're going to have a good time oh, on yeah. that. Speaking of NASA, awesome. I recorded a, I recorded a session with NASA also for Drone Waves. Drone Waves is coming up this Friday. We'll have a What the Truck from there. Um, I don't I have a fire. I don't know if it's a fireside chat or a keynote. I'm not sure what they're going to call my thing, but I recorded a great segment there on what NASA is doing with, with drones. You can find the show wherever you get podcasts. Just look up What the Truck. Go to uh, What Truck Newsletter coming out tomorrow. Go to FreightWaves.com slash WTT. Go get your hands on that thing. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dune. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him. At Vincent the Dude. Take care. Own the week. Let's finish April strong. Right, Vincent? Peace and love, everybody. Peace and love.